Exodus, the 11th chapter, beginning at verse number 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. One more passage in Nehemiah, the ninth chapter, verse number 16. Nehemiah 9 and 16. But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments and refused to obey. Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst amongst them, but hardened their necks and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and forsookest them not. Drawing special attention to verse number 17, one phrase of which I would like to lift out the title for tonight's message. Neither were mindful of thy wonders. Neither were they mindful of thy wonders. I want to talk to some young people tonight for a few moments on this subject. Mindful of thy wonder. Mindful of thy wonder. I believe, number one, that the devil does not want us to have a move of God tonight. He's fought this meeting already. And he is trying his best to keep the will of God from being done. But nothing is coincidental with God. And I believe tonight that the Holy Ghost would like to help some young people. Under the sound of my voice, regardless of how dressed up you look and how, how pretty you got yourself all ready and you look like you've got everything together, there are some hurting people that came to Heritage Conference this year. And for the past week, I have not been able to get away from this. So I'm going to trust that you'll allow me to just go ahead and obey the Holy Ghost for a few moments tonight. I hope you haven't come with any preconceived ideas of what is supposed to happen at youth conference tonight. But God has a perfect mind for this service. Uh, hallelujah. Would you pray with me right now that God would have his way? God, we love you. God, we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Uh, touch us with your presence tonight, God. Heal tonight. Reveal yourself tonight, God. Glory to 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 God. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing tonight and for your attention to the Word of God. 
mindful of thy wonder. I guess arguably one of the most riveting passages of the Old Testament, maybe one of the most well-known even to those that casually read the Scriptures, would be the account of the ten plagues in Egypt and the account of God's delivering His people out of captivity with a high hand. And uh, I just uh, want to tell you at the offset that I still believe that we serve a God who is able to deliver. Uh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He's still able to heal. He's still able to save to the uttermost. I do not believe the church's greatest days are behind them. However, Brother Riggan, I do concur with what you said tonight. I do believe that there are some bleak days ahead. And it is important that we as young people, and I said that intentionally, we, as I still am a young person. I believe it's, it's paramount that we as young people can get an understanding of how God works and how to recognize the hand of God at work in a situation. Because there are dark days that happen to the child of God. There are days of captivity. There are days of oppression. And if you do not have a revelation and a proper understanding of how God works, there will be times that you will think that the hand of God is working against you. When in reality... He is working on your behalf. But every once in a while, you've got to zoom out and get a shot of the bigger picture and understand that there is a God who knows the end from the beginning. There is a God who has a purpose for every one of you sitting here tonight. The devil is a liar if he's telling you that God doesn't have a plan for your life. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. So as a little background to this passage that we read tonight, to the history of this fixating story of the captivity and pending deliverance of the children of Israel, we find uh, part of the riveting history is this, that God took out of one man and out of a covenant between one man and his God, God birthed an entire nation of Israel. He took seemingly out of nothing and he made something out of nothing. God still is in the making something out of nothing business. Oh, hallelujah. He can still take a drug addict and deliver him and, and restore his mind. He can still take a busted up family and make some kids come out of a family situation that's a little bit... He still can be a father to the fatherless. He still can be a mother to the motherless. He still. Oh, yes, he can. Oh, yes, he can. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so he brought seemingly out of nothing. He brought something out of it. And now all of a sudden you have. 70 people that are going down into Egypt 
And note that at that point they were not going into captivity. They were just going into Egypt. And you can read for yourself, but as the timeline progresses, the Bible says that God told Abraham, there's coming a day when my people will sojourn in a land that does not belong to them for 400 years. But if you look at it closely, he didn't just say they're going to sojourn in a land that they don't belong to, but he said they're going to be afflicted for 400 years. There's a difference between just sojourning in another land and sojourning in another land of affliction. But when you roll ahead a little bit, you find that, that there, when they were brought out of captivity, it said that 430 years had gone by. There seems to be a discrepancy between what God said and what happened. But there's not. The fact of the matter is, for about approximately to the best of my ability, 29 years, the 70 people that first went into Egyptian captivity, so to speak, began to multiply. And their growth caught the attention of God. I'm here to tell you that numbers doesn't catch the attention. As much as growth does. I'm going to just stop here long enough to take a little swipe and let you know that I don't care if you're in a church of 25 or 30. As long as you're growing, you're a threat to the enemy. Ah, I'm not in a youth group that's got 70 or 80 or 100 or 200. I don't care how many's in your youth group. If it's growing, then you've got a, you've got a part to play in the kingdom of God. And if you're waiting for a good time to jump on board, jump on board now. You need to go back regardless of the size or the number of the youth group you're in. But you need to go back and make it a growing youth group. If you've only got six this year, make it eight next year. And make it ten the next year. But I'm here to tell you that your growing will get the enemy's attention. I said, you're growing, we'll get the enemy's attention. And it wasn't just numbers that caught his attention, but somehow when you do the math, they had about 29 years, give or take a few months, to grow before they stepped into affliction. And from 70 people, I don't know how many they could have in roughly 29 years, but there wasn't millions strong in that short period of time. But they still caught the attention of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, if we don't do something about this growing problem, then if we ever come under attack, they could rise up from within and we'd have a problem. And so his remedy to fix, hear me now, his remedy to fix a growth problem was to afflict 
Are you going to go ahead and just let me preach to you a little bit? I said, his, his remedy to affect a growth program was to afflict the children of Israel. And he still hasn't learned his lesson in 2010. He still thinks by afflicting, he can stunt growth. But I'm here to serve notice on the enemy tonight. The affliction isn't going to stop a growth of a true apostolic church. Affliction only conditions an apostolic church for true revival. It's already been referenced tonight about the man of God, Brother Gary Howard, that has been under such affliction this year. I'm telling you, the reason he's under affliction is there's a growth that's going on. And he thinks by afflicting God's people, he can stop growth. But the Bible says the more he afflicted them, the more that they grew there is a dynamic connection between the Shatamandura Baha'i. Oh, yes, there is. There's a connection between affliction and growing. And those Egyptian, those, those Egyptian midwives couldn't get there fast enough to deliver those babies so that they could take care of the growing problem. And when they went back and reported to duty, they said, Pharaoh, I'm sorry. We can't get there fast enough. They're too strong. The affliction has conditioned them for birth. Now, all of that to bring us to tonight's passage that we read. Affliction is going to come, ladies and gentlemen. Young people, I wish I could tell you that if you serve God, everything's going to work out exactly how you wanted it to work out. But I'm here to tell you that there will be days when it will seem like the end is not in sight. It will seem like God has turned His face from you. Oh, yes. If you've never been there, you just go ahead and file this. There's some that I'm going to talk to tonight. This may not be for everybody, but there's some that are going to be able to connect with what I'm talking about tonight. Where you think that God has shut the door and walked out of your life and left you aimlessly at the mercy of the enemy. But I'm here to tell you that God still... Oh, yeah. God still has a plan. God still has a plan. So they begin to cry unto God and they begin to, to weep and they begin to ask God to deliver them. And God sent Moses to be their deliverer. And the Bible says that Egypt was the one that named Moses. Moses, because of the conditions that he was born in, 
became exposed to more Egyptian influence than what is the ideal circumstance. Yeah? His mom and daddy would have loved to have been able to keep him home and just nurture him up for his entire life. But because of the conditions of his birth, it demanded that he was exposed to more Egyptian influence than what they had previously or would have hoped that he would have had. But I want to tell you that that's not even a bad thing. And I'm not up for opening up to Egypt. But I want to tell you, if God has a plan for your life, and I want you to hear me tonight, I don't care what exposure. We've got, can we just be honest tonight? We've been through hell this year. I've had loved ones walk out on God. I've had them walk out on their families. I've held the kids. I've held nephews and nieces in my arms at 2 o'clock in the morning. As they vented about what life was demanding them to go through. Now we can stick our head in the sand and think apostolic young people don't have to deal with stuff. Or we can just go ahead and help apostolic young people deal with stuff. And I sat down and done some figuring in a Christian school. 13% of our children were being raised by single parents. 13% of children being raised in an apostolic church happened to be parented by single parents. Spending time under the influence of Egypt. Oh yeah, they got to do it because the courts mandate it. And you can live on pins and needles wondering, where is God in all of this stuff? But I'm here to tell you that if you are a young person, I don't care if only one parent's in church or if no parents are in church. If you're a young person that wants to do something for God, Egypt can't get you. You hear me? Egypt can't get you. Even when Egypt named Moses, they still named him in accordance with his divine purpose. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I've got to hurry. I want to move on. God bless you. You may be seated. So their growth caught the attention. And so now you have the series of events that is known as the Ten Plagues. I don't have time to go through all of them tonight. But as I was reading a few weeks ago, this scripture stood out to me. And I guess I'd read it before, but never really noticed it in this light. The Bible says in our text in Nehemiah that they were not mindful of his wonders. They were not mindful of his wonders in Egypt. And I was reading that and all of a sudden I I said to myself, wonders in Egypt? I thought it was plagues in Egypt. I thought it was the ten plagues in Egypt. 
I got to read that again. There must be, must be something wrong. No, they were not mindful. It didn't say they were not mindful of his plagues in Egypt. Oh, hallelujah. He said they were not mindful of his wonders in Egypt. And time's against me tonight, so I'm just going to jump into the middle of this and let you know that you have got to learn to recognize the difference between a plague and a wonder. You have got to learn as an apostolic young person in 2010 to learn to recognize when it's the hand of God working and when it's a plague. Are you telling me, are you telling me, preacher, that frogs everywhere is a wonder? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Are you telling me that, 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 that dust becoming gnats is a wonder? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Are you telling me that water turning to blood is a wonder? You mean that's not a plague? Here's the key. It's a plague for Egypt, but it's not a plague for Goshen. So whether, oh, hallelujah, help me, Holy Ghost. So whether it's a plague or it's a wonder depends on where you're living. If you're living in Goshen, it's not a plague. But if you're living in Egypt, it's the end of the world. Oh, that's it. Some of you are starting to grab it now. You thought that it was a hand of God working against you in 2010. But I'm here to tell you, it's God's wonder at work. Can I have just a little more monitor, brother? If I can have just a little more monitor, thank you. God bless you. We've got to hurry. You may be seated. Oh, God, you thought God had abandoned you. You thought God's hand was working against you. But do you know something that's going to happen? I believe our young people need to know doctrine. I believe they need to know. They need to know all of the ins and outs of apostolic doctrine and why we believe what we believe and get solid in it. But I'm here to tell you, when you start reading that, he said, they were not mindful of his wonder. And the next thing that started happening was they started to rebel. These were young people that were indoctrinated in the 613 laws of the Hebrew. If anybody knew, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They knew that. But when all hell breaks loose, please, not meaning anything against our doctrine, I love it. But you got to have something more than just a doctrine to hold you here when hell breaks loose. You have to be able to recognize that there is a God that's at work. And he's not just a God that's plaguing Egypt, but he's a God that's working wonders on your behalf.
I'm not interested in my youth group getting rebellious. You know what else it said that they done? They appointed unto themselves captains to return to captivity. I have never understood why anybody would want to leave once God has delivered them and brought them out of Egypt. Why they'd ever want to go back to Egypt. But I'm telling you where it starts is when you get confused about whether God's working for you or working against you. And if you don't have a revelation that God is a wonder-working God. God is a God that can do anything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So then you can notice as you begin to read through Scripture... A trend was set. And I'm sorry to tell you, but many of the children of Israel, you would think that being able to look out of Goshen and it be daylight and to look into Egypt and it's blacker than black, you would think that that would do anything for your faith. You would think that Israel's faith should have been at an all-time high when they walked out into their pastures and all their cattle was living. But everybody's cattle in Egypt was dying. From where I am, because I'm not going through it, it looks like it was a pretty wonderful thing. But to them, they were struggling with the fact Of it being a plague. And they were not mindful of his wonder. And so they appointed under themselves captains that said, let's go back to Egypt. I don't know about you, but I don't want to lose any more young people this year. I'm not here for doom and gloom. God has been giving us. In fact, we're having a tremendous move in our village right now amongst young people. So I'm not here with my bottom lip hanging on the floor but I don't want to lose any young people in 2011 that can quote one God scriptures and can quote Acts 238 but they can't tell the difference between a plague and a wonder you need to get to revelation before you leave winter heritage this year that you've got a God that's working mightily on your behalf Yes, yes, yes. And from that point on, you can begin to read how people would refer back to it. Greatly revealed a lot about themselves. From that point on, you can read. If the enemies of Israel, you can read it. It's so exciting. You start reading about the Philistines. And they look out there and they say, oh no, here comes that ark. I don't mind fighting, but I don't like fighting that ark. Well, what is the big deal? There's a bunch of young kids around that don't have a fresh revelation of the God behind that ark. 
They get their brand new sword and they're ready to fight. And some old men pull them aside and said, let me tell you what's significant about that ark. That ark, behind that ark is a God that plagued Egypt. Oh, yeah. And guess what? Before the fight was over, he was plaguing them too. But you start reading about whenever God's men would start referring back to what had happened in Egypt. Nehemiah jumps up and he says, they weren't mindful of his. Not plagues. His wonders. David jumped up and said, now we, we got to talk about whether we're going to go into battle or not. But just, just to give you a crash course on history, the God we serve is the God that worked wonders in Egypt. Not plagues, wonders in Egypt. It was Jeremiah that stood up and said, it's our God that worked wonders back in Egypt. It was Gideon who stood up and all by himself on a threshing floor in the middle of the night and an angel stepped in. And when the angel stepped in, he said, I got one question to ask you. Where's the God that works the, the wonders of our forefathers? I believe there's still a cry in the generation of young people in 2010 that say, I want the wonders of the forefathers to happen in my generation. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I see a man. God bless you, you may be seated. I see a man. Going to bed. He didn't realize when he went to bed that night that he was a topic of discussion in a celestial board meeting. He bedded his head that night just as righteous as when he got up that morning. The devil's lying to you if he tells you that Everything you're going through is because you're not righteous enough. I know this is simple. This is just. If you'd pray a little bit more, you wouldn't go through this. We all could pray a little more. If you'd fast a little, yeah, we all would fast a little bit more. There's just some stuff that happens to righteous people. The Bible says that the rain falls. On the just and on the unjust. And when he got up that morning, Job didn't know the boatload of trouble that was headed his way. He got up just as righteous as he had every other morning. And I want to tell you something. In fact, it wasn't just his righteousness. It was, it was his integrity that got God's attention. It was 
God who brought Job into the picture, not the devil. It was God who said, have you considered my servant Job? Have, have you considered my servant Job? And let me tell you what got my attention about Job, Mr. Devil. He holds fast his integrity. In the midst of having all of these blessings, he has not lost his integrity. You look at that word in the original and it means he's not lost his simplicity or his awe. So for the sake of tonight, he's not lost his wonder. His his six-digit figure hasn't made him a god unto himself. He still sees the wonder in the hand of God. Oh, really? Well, let me take a few things from him. Well, you just go ahead, Mr. Devil. If you think you can pull his integrity out of his hand, you try it. And Job wakes up that morning and gets messenger after messenger after messenger running his way, telling him of devastating event after devastating event. Job walks away from fresh graves from burying his children. Weeping. Crying. But not bitter. The next thing to go was his health. The noose started tightening because he was such an evil man. No, 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 no. Because he was a man of integrity. He was a man of integrity. And the Bible says that his wife, we don't know that much about her. We've only got a few verses that cover. But she revealed a lot about herself in the few statements that she made. She walks on to the scene of biblical history long enough to ask him about The same thing that caught God's attention. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Has the fact that now you've lost everything. You had everything and you kept your integrity. Can you lose everything and keep your integrity? Here is a man that looks at her. She said, well, I'll tell you what, Job. Why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just, that didn't mean physical death. Why don't you renounce God? That was how the heathens and pagans done it. In that day and age that when you prayed to the God that you prayed to and he didn't meet your expectation, you renounced him. You cursed him and walked away in search of another God. I'm here to tell you there's no other God. There's no other God.
And he looked at her and said, are you trying to get me to curse my God and die? No, I'm not going to curse my God and die. And I submit to you that he was not surprised when he heard her say that. Why? Glad you asked. I'll tell you. You can be seated just for a second. He would get up every morning when the breath, when his children got together to, to feast. And he'd offer sacrifices to God just in case that in their haste they had cursed God in their eating and drinking the night before. And I want to ask you where they got the idea. Where do you suppose Job's children? If Job had a fear that his children would curse God and die, they had to get it somewhere. And they didn't get it from Job. Now I'm here to tell you, just let me talk to you parents just for a second. How you handle what you go through greatly affects the ability of your children to maintain their wonder in a God that knows the end from the beginning. I thank God for apostolic parents that I watched them go through hell. I watched them be attacked. I watched them fight the devil one-on-one. But not one time did I ever see them look in the face of God and say, why am I going through this? But there was always a sense of awe and wonder and respect for a God that they knew would work it all out in the end. And I'm here to tell you that Job, before his chapter was closed, I said before his chapter was closed, he said, who am I to take from God but not be willing to give? Blessed, blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So I want to tell you tonight, as we're coming to a close, you may be seated, that it's paramount that you and I as young people can detect the hand of God in a situation, regardless of the outcome. As humans, we predicate outcome on whether God's working or not. You know what we need tonight in this house is a baptism of the faith that the three Hebrew children had. When they stood and looked at that old king and they said, the question is never if God can. said the question is never if God can. We know that he can. But if he don't, you go ahead and carry these ashes out. Knowing that I died, 
and every fiber of my being believed in a God that if it was part of his plan to deliver me, he would have delivered me. And don't let the outcome of what I'm going through question in your mind whether God was able. I'm here to tell you he's able. I'm here to tell you he's able. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, and above all you can ask or think. You're going to remain standing tonight. I refuse to allow the ability of my God to be called into question by the outcome of the event. And so, I was reading while I was studying. I ended up in the book of Revelations. I almost sound prophetic just saying that word. I'm going to wait and let Dr. Bo take care of the book of Revelations. But just for the sake, can we just, just jump into it? You'll, be, you'll feel a whole lot smarter than I do too. You can leave here going, yeah, we studied Revelations this week at Winter Heritage. I began looking, following this theme of plagues and wonders and the people that done, done things for God always referred back to Egypt as the hand of God working wonders and signs. But it was the enemies of God that always said it was plagues. I began looking, and it took me into Revelations. And Revelation starts by God talking to a man by the name of John that had been through a lot of stuff. History says he was boiled alive and never did make it. It didn't, it just, he just, he was tough, I guess. There's one thing worse than being boiled alive and it working. That's being boiled alive and it not working. I think. <laughs> That's not from personal experience. I think that'd be a pretty bad deal. Maybe all you guys are tougher in Texas. I don't know. That's a pretty big deal. Then they threw him on an island that got everybody else. And he's walking over the remains of, of people that had been consumed by what he was going through. And the Bible says that he heard a voice behind him because he got in the... Well, let's say it together. If we ever needed anointed church in 2010 and 11, Patty Kakin isn't going to get the job done. Cute little preaching is not going to get the job done. 
fancy little sermon titles aren't going to get the job done. we got to get in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I'm here to tell you that we got to get in the Spirit every day. The Lord stays too far apart. We need youth groups that can get in the Spirit and hear the voice of God behind them on a daily basis. You're going through stuff that'll kill you if you don't get in the Spirit. The Bible says, the voice said to him, I'm getting ready to show you some things. But I want you to write down what you see. Let me paraphrase it for you tonight. How does it look to you what you're going through, John? If I were to ask you to write down what you think about what you're going through, what would you say about it? John, is it a plague to you or is it a wonder? I know that your wife just walked out on you. I know that your kids have just backslid. I know that you just got a doctor's report. I know. I know all of this stuff. But John, you write what you're seeing. I'm telling you in 2010 Winter Heritage Conference, God wants to know what you think about what you're going through. When I started serving God, I didn't plan on all of this. There'll be days when you feel that way, but I'm telling you tonight before you leave this service, you need to get in the Spirit. If you can get in the Spirit, this is the Lord's day. (laughs) I guarantee you if for the next few moments around this altar we could make this a prayer room, that there's some hurting people that would be able to walk out the doors and go through what you're going through, that otherwise it would have consumed you. But if you can get in the Spirit and begin to see things from how God sees them, What do you see in John? I tell you what I'm seeing. I see some plagues coming. You do. Chapter 9, he said, I've seen three plagues. I'm not even here to tell you what they mean. I'm not getting into all of that. And then in a few chapters later, he said, there were seven more plagues coming because seven angels were bringing them. But when he introduced those last plagues, he said, I see another wonder. What do you see, John? It's not a plague. There's plagues coming, but they're not coming for me. I see a wonder. I'm here to tell you, not taking a slap at anybody about that studies revelations, but it's not just about finding out what the tribulation is. The revelation is Jesus Christ. And if you're to read John's writings about what he saw, he said, I see him. I see him. Hallelujah. 
said, I see a plague. What else do you see, John? Well, I see a sea. You see a sea? Yeah, it's like glass. There's fire mixed in with it. And there's a sea. Oh, really? He said, yeah. I see beasts and I see all of this stuff. But, but I see this, this big body of water. It's a sea. I've seen ten plagues. Yeah? Ten plagues. A sea. Anybody getting the... He said, oh, I see something else too. There's people on the other side of that sea. Well, who's the people that you saw? He said, I'll tell you who they are. They're the people that survived. That's who they are. Well, what are they doing, John? Every one of them have a harp in their hands and they're singing the songs of Moses and of the Lamb. And I'm here to tell you as we close tonight that you can make it. There's plagues, there's seas, but there's songs, baby. Keep singing your song. Keep singing your song. Let's worship the Lord together right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I will praise the Lord. Oh, I will praise the Lord. No matter what tomorrow brings, what it has in store. Oh.